All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hi, it's Manoush again. You just heard me a minute ago, and actually I'm not in the office right now. In fact, the whole note to self team is off getting bored out of our minds hopefully off our phones, relaxing, having brilliant vacations. So this week, we're playing you one of our favorite episodes from the past year, my interview with Charlie Brooker and Annabelle Jones, the masterminds behind our favorite dystopian TV show. Yeah, I'm talking about Black Mirror. Since we talked to Annabelle and Charlie in June, the pair have picked up a couple Emmys, and our stories here on the podcast have just kept hitting that Black Mirror vibe. I have given my body over to a telepresence robot. I created a mini minouche AI. We have tried and sometimes failed to reclaim our humanity from our technology, just like the characters on the show. And by the way, if you don't know already, Black Mirror is back. Netflix has announced season four will drop on December 29th. So perfect timing, right? Enjoy. I'm a natural worrier. Like I love technology, but I'm a real worrier. And so I think reflected in the stories is a, is a kind of worst-case scenario. It's Charlie Brooker and Annabelle Jones. I am delighted when Charlie is in despair. The creators of the show Black Mirror. And I'm Manoush Samarodi. Because note to self, when you switch off your phone, it turns into a mirror. A black mirror. Oh yeah, people. Total fangirl moment happening right now. Some of you, maybe you've never seen the show Black Mirror, and that is totally fine. You are going to love this interview anyway, because other Note to Self listeners constantly send us emails telling us that their minds are blown when they see a Black Mirror episode about some dystopian technology, and then... Weeks later, they hear this podcast and we tell them that actually that technology has become real. Like the episode in season two of Black Mirror where people build virtual versions of their dead loved ones by using the data trail that they left behind. I can sign you up to something that helps. It helped me. It will let you speak to him. I know he's dead, but it wouldn't work if he wasn't. And, and don't worry, it's not some crazy spiritual thing. He was a heavy user. He'd be perfect. Please shut up. I mean, it's still in beta, but I've got an invite. Please shut up. You won't even have to do anything. It might sound bizarre, but then a couple months ago, here on Note to Self, you got to know Ginger. She's a mother of three who has terminal cancer, and she's using a new service that will communicate with her kids on her behalf after she's gone. If I set this up and I'm sending you messages of encouragement in the future, even after I'm not here, 
Is that going to freak you out, or do you think that'll be cool? That'll freak me out. There are so many examples of real-life imitating fiction. The idea on both Note to Self and Black Mirror isn't that tech is bad necessarily, just that sometimes it feels, particularly now, it feels like the world is spinning off its axis. And we need to keep our feet on the ground to be aware of what makes us human so we make sure that the machines do what we want them to do and not the other way around. Anyway, Charlie Brooker is a freaking genius who writes the show. His co-executive producer is Annabelle Jones, and they were both here in the Note to Self studio. And here is my interview with them for you. So what is the process of writing an episode of Black Mirror? Like, are you sitting in a coffee shop and looking around and thinking, wow, it's really fucked up that people are taking, like, a bite out of their cookie and then putting it next to their cappuccino and then taking a picture and putting a filter on it and posting it and then thinking, like, you know what, let's just do an episode that unpacks that ridiculous behavior? Well, not really. What we don't do is we don't tend to look at the news or look at the tech pages and think, where's where's the Black Mirror story in that? It usually springs from, we'll just be having a conversation about something and then I'll start coming out with some stupid what-if idea. Mm-hmm. Because my background is in comedy writing and it's a similar muscle you're, you're exercising there. So I'll, I'll start thinking of some strange MacGuffin or some what strikes me often as a humorous situation and then in discussing the logical ramifications of that we start to sort of fumble our way towards a story so that's how it works when we have sat down and sort of gone right what's the what's the black mirror take on the refugee crisis or something like that we end up often in a kind of cul-de-sac we may um end up with themes that are resonant yeah uh, but that that tends to be secondary in a way where we will be discussing the idea and then we go oh and that ah and this comments on that and this uh, and that um that relates to this issue and so on and so forth so that's the way we do it generally there's a lot of laughter when the ideas are initially being thought up. Because they and, seem and so a few ridiculous. Tears. And, and, some and a tears. few tears, but joyful tears, tears of despair and joy, because we know we've hit on something exciting. The, the thing I often say is that basically when I'm... <laughs> I like, I relish describing the appalling consequences of, of um, story ideas, and, and if I'm doubled over laughing and Annabelle looks truly horrified, then we know we're in the right ballpark. <laughs> yes, so it works for both of us. So... Our, our show, Note to Self. So we sort of are the factual version of Black Mirror. Like, I can't tell you how often we have people tweeting us, emailing us, being like, oh, my God, have you seen this episode? Because it totally <laughs> reminds me of this. So, for example, we had on the former chief data scientist of Amazon who was describing a trip he'd recently gone on to China where they have a personal score for people mm-hmm. and that some of the students he was talking to are starting to prototype being able to use that score to be like, would this person be a good babysitter for my kids? You know, morally judging people, not just on their credit score, but their very sense of self. And then I watched a black mirror where people walk (laughs) around and there's a a score around their heads. And whether they're popular or likable or in, you know, a very American way, chipper enough, essentially. Mm -hmm. I see there's one standby seat on another plane leaving tonight. That's reserved for members of our prime flight program. You got to be a 4.2 or over to qualify. Oh, I'm I'm a 4.2. I'm afraid you're actually a 4.183. Oh. 
Well, that's not my fault. Um, some woman dinged me down in the cab driver. Can't you just... I'm sorry, it won't let me book it without the correct ranking. But it's so close. There's just nothing I can do. Worlds colliding on purpose? Or sometimes uh, you're ahead of the game? Or... Definitely, it tends to be... Well, that particular episode, that that's... Um, uh, and we always refer to them as the one with the ratings yeah, or the one yeah, with yeah. the Bs or whatever. <laughs> like, um, but... But it's an extrapolation of mm. where we are at any time. You know, I think why Black Mirror tends to resonate with people is because you take something that people are sort of feeling, maybe sub- still subconsciously, and you extrapolate it and exaggerate it, and it sort of gets under people's skin and sort of thinks, I didn't even realise I was worried about that, but now you have confirmed it for me. You know, and so it is an extrapolation of, of today's world where we are being judged, and, um, you know, we, we do have our likes and dislikes, and so it's just a a more accurate and quantitative mm. assessment of that. A sarcastic vision of the present. So before we knew that Uber was rating its passengers as well, I had a similar instance where somebody picked me up and the driver said to me, I almost didn't pick you up because of your rating. And I was like, excuse me? Mm. I have a rating and and it's low? <laughs> like, what the yeah. hell are you talking what about? What have you done? Well, now I'm uh, judging you. Okay, what so, have you done? And here's the thing. I, that was the first day I had ever taken Uber, and I'd happened to take three trips. And so I could pinpoint what had happened. And what it was was one of the drivers previously had been trying to make, like, joke around with me. And I just kind of wasn't in the mood. And he didn't like that. Mm. I mean, in, in the UK, everyone uses Uber. It is so now a way of life. And so, you know, we talk about the potential horrors of technology, but how enabling is it? Yeah. You know, that we will get into the car of a stranger because somehow we've got some comfort that they're a high status. Mm. You know, it's sort of quite weird. And they sort of go, if, if they were a 3.5, would we get in? Well, Probably you do sometimes, not. don't you? Have you not looked at the very first time I booked an Uber was in Los Angeles, actually. Okay. And um, and I, 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 you were there, oh. and I sh- <laughs> I showed you, and I went look at this because I was like, this is, and here comes this guy, and look look at this guy, and he like had a tattooed face, and I thought he's a murderer. He's this guy's, <laughs> he was the sweetest man on earth when he showed up, but I mean, I think I wanted to say to him, you've got to change your like here. There was a photo your of him face. that popped up. You've got to change looked, your face. Looked like a maniac. But people like, were like, they said to me like, well, why do you have to see it as a negative thing? Isn't it a wonderful thing that now the customer isn't always right? We all have to act civilly to each other. I'm wondering, should we, instead of being so negative about it, why not be more positive? Well, I think all you need to do is I once worked in a shop where you you could tell the customer to fuck off if they were rude. And that was an incredibly liberating experience because I, I did it sometimes. Like you didn't some, get fired? No, no, no. no, no. I, remember once, I remember once telling <laughs> somebody came in and just, it was a video game store and somebody came in and went, show me that. And I went, well, could you say please? And this guy got really angry. Um, and I said, why don't you fuck off? And he said, get the boss. So I went and got the boss, and the boss came out and said, what happened? And I explained it, and the boss said, fuck off to this guy. So it was that kind of atmosphere. You know, it, it meant it was a shop with a personality. So, <laughs> That's one way um, of putting it, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, well, it folded you know. very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it's no longer there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, so, so, you know, I think that was liberating because it did it did mean that you know that very very small percentage of customers you'd get who came in who didn't see people as human because they were working on the other side of the desk and therefore thought they were like their slaves they could order around um those people had to watch their step and maybe rethink their attitude that was quite healthy however if we were sitting there secretly rating i mean that's kind of it's the stuff of like a 
Eastern Europe or something, isn't it? It's yes, kind of like the lives of others so. or something. Yeah. So, I mean, that side of things is is weird and insidious and and sinister. But it's it's scary how quickly you get used to that. I mean, I've been I remember being disturbed the first time I saw Google Street View. Yes. You know, and then that's now it's just useful. But the first time you saw that and you thought, how is that? How is that allowed to be a thing that? I can go and... I remember watching TV and there was a politician being interviewed outside his house live on air. And I thought, I wonder if I could look up where he lives and work out how to get into his house using Street View. And sure enough, you could. You could go around the corner and see, oh, look, there's a sort of little junction box for the phone. You could uh, step on that, go over that wall, bang, you're in. I can see a window. And then I thought, this is terrifying. <gasps> I was only thinking about this for the purposes of a story, I of have course. to say. But, you know, things like that. I, basically, technology has just given us these strange superhuman powers. That's the sort of thing Sherlock Holmes would have had to work out in ye olden days. Now, any idiot can do it. I can do it. So uh, it's it's how we use that magic power we've suddenly been invested with. But is the the purpose then of the series, obviously, it's to entertain first mm-hmm. and foremost. Mm-hmm. But is there, I don't know, maybe a little like, you know, inspire the viewer to be a little more reflective about their own behavior or how they use the technology or there is this sort of sense that we're all buying in without really asking any questions and is the show sort of there to make people stop and be a little horrified that's not explicitly like its mission statement as it were or that's not necessarily the intention i suspect that comes out naturally because like i'm a natural worrier like I love technology, but I'm a real worrier. And so I think reflected in the stories is a, is a kind of worst-case scenario often, which by default will presumably make the viewer think, oh, I mean, the number of people we heard about who would, after watching something like Shut Up and Dance, put a Post-it note over the webcam on their laptop and things like that. Um, but that we tell our listeners to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they should. That is not a worry. Like, Why don't they come with a little a little cover? They filmed me. Filmed you? Through my computer camera. What, like, filmed you? You're like, you know, doing it. Annabelle, I'm kind of wondering, like, when you hear Charlie sort of falling down a wormhole of the worst-case scenario, mm. do you feel like that's fodder for entertainment right there? Uh, yes, I am delighted when Charlie is in despair, obviously, because that uh, <laughs> means we have some stories to tell. But I think Charlie makes a good point that, you know, we're still in its infancy, our relationship with technology. And so you just hope that once we've sort of exercised all of these different muscles, that people will find a place and there'll be a stability and people won't feel the need to sort of perform so much. I think it's an interesting time because basically, I mean, I, I used to be... Uh, a newspaper columnist. And I would exaggerate everything to be entertaining because that's what you do when you're a newspaper columnist. And then you look at social media and everyone's a newspaper columnist, basically. You're, everything was either, this is nailed the internet, they've won the internet, this is the best thing I've ever seen. I am laughing, I am crying, I am... Five stars. Five stars. Like, literally, ask somebody what that what they were talking about a week later. I have no idea. It's just, <laughs> it's gone straight out of my head. That or the, this is appalling, this is the worst person yeah. who ever exists. All of that is, as you say, it's, it's performative because... We're developing a, a a persona. I present a sort of comedy show in the UK, and I affect a persona in it. It's a it's a role I'm playing, but it's not who I am. And I think that that's a 
a bit of cognitive dissonance that has confused people in showbiz. Yes. Like, like traditionally. And now it's happening to everyone. And so I, th- I sort of think it's part of the consequences of that because we're having to curate this new personality online that's not who we are, yet is is based on who we are. So we're all becoming exaggerations online. We know that's not really who we are, but but at the same time, it kind of is. So I think there's a strange tension going on. And I think that, as Annabelle was saying, I think that's something that we are going to have to get used to. It's not going to go away. It's just something we're going to get more and more used to. So I hope that what's happening at the moment with sort of the extreme polarization that's going on is kind of, I hope that's a growing pain. I mean, it's it, it does feels like there are a few slightly fewer sort of witch hunts than there used to be. You know, there was that that John Ronson book, "You've Been Publicly Shamed," which was him. a brilliant yes. book, and we and we read that, uh, and that was well, that was one instance of me reading a book and going, "There's definitely a black mirror." So this oh, yeah. is like, um, and we we did uh, an episode called "Hated in the Nation." One, pick a target. Oh my god. Two, post their name and photo with hashtag death to. Three. Most popular targets will be eliminated after 5 p.m. each day. 4. Game resets at midnight. It feels like that happens a bit less at the moment. I miss the days when people were like, whatever. Yeah, meh. Yeah. Uh, meh. What happened to uh, meh? I know. Mm. I, I I can't do Instagram because I find it too emotionally ringing. Like mm-hmm. everything's too beautiful mm. and this flower is so perfect and we're all just going to die anyway. Like I think I actually read in an interview that you called it um, dissociative mental disorder that you think <laughs> that we're having. Pro- which... Probably because it's not – you know it's not true while you're doing it. On some level, it's all about being noticed or it's – if it's weighing in on something that people are already discussing, then there is a pressure to top the opinion of the last person who's, whose opinion you read on it. So these things immediately go through the roof in terms – you know, like this. so if you saw a performance on TV and people were saying it was great, you have to say it was phenomenal and then the next person have to say it was life-changing and, the, you know. Um, so so the, it snowballs. Everything snowballs very quickly. God, I love them. Okay, in a minute, why Charlie Brooker and Annabelle Jones don't just give up on Black Mirror and start their own tech company? I mean, they have so many good ideas for our products, right? That's coming up. Stick with Note to Self. We're back. It's Note to Self. I'm Manoush Samarodi. And this is the second half of my dream come true, an interview with Black Mirror creators Charlie Brooker and Annabelle Jones. I'm a big video games player. And yeah. and we did a show in, in the UK, which was a documentary about video games, and we were counting down the most influential video games of all time. Video games, for years the domain of outsiders and geeks and people who look a bit like owls. Somewhere down the line, gaming went mainstream and now everyone plays them 18 hours a day, even George Allegheny. They weren't in order of quality, they were just sort of in order of influence. And we put Twitter at number one. and people As got a game? Re- as a game. And people got really annoyed and went, Twitter isn't a game, don't be an idiot. And I was like, well, it is, actually. It's a massively multiplayer online role-playing game in which you play a character based on yourself, but who isn't yourself, in order to gather followers and points, effectively, and influence. That's what it is. We're all playing 
a role-playing game. That's what social media is. And that's fine. And it's also an amazing communications tool, don't get me wrong, but that's what it is. And so I think that's where a dissociative mental disorder comes in because we don't know that's what we're doing. If it was pitched to you as, do you want to play the social game? Do you want to play this game? And then, and it must work in the same way. When you get like a load of retweets or some some new a blue tick follower sort of like follows you or something like that, you get a notification. That's the same as the little endorphin rush you get when Mario collects a coin and it plays that sound effect that's just does something nice to your brain. Mm. So... Um, but it is the same as, you know, making a friend laugh in the pub, but on such a wide scale mm. and so immersive and so constant. So it's tapping into a human instinct, which is you like to be able to entertain mm-hmm. someone. It's just the scale of The it. scale of it is I was, something I was thinking about, which is that you have different personalities anyway. Like in your everyday life, you behave with your family in one way and your work colleagues in one way and your old school friends in a different way and strangers in another way. And you can compartmentalize these areas of your life because they're separate. And I remember having a launch party for a book years ago and, ooh, get me, get me. Mm, I was having a launch party for a book. Uh, and, uh, and I'd invited people from different walks of my life and they're all mingling around in one room and you'd go over to talk to some of them and thought, I don't, I don't know who I am now. How, how do I talk to... Oh, God. The audience is all mixed up, and I don't know who I am. That's how I felt at my wedding. <laughs> well, so, so, it's, so it's weird, isn't it? Yes. Because you think, how do I... Because yeah. there'd be somebody I'd be self-deprecating about all of this and somebody else who's, like, I'd be very sincere. Yeah. And so what World's do you do? colliding. And you know, while that's happening, that you're not you. You know, it feels a little uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's what's happening online all the time as well, is you're basically, because it's one size fits all, mm. then that's just another you that exists, is the Twitter you or the Facebook you or the Instagram you is a different you. That So so there's all these different yous you have to put up with. But, but I think we've come <laughs> to... I don't think there's anything schizophrenic about that. No. I think it's natural that you have different, that you're drawn to different people that bring out different oh, traits of your y- character. You know, so that's all very cathartic and healthy, I think, to have mm-hmm. that, I need this to be my loving base and I need this to be my more acerbic group of friends but you don't know but But, but to bring mm. all those together that's when you get into trouble it's when it's all together because then you end up trying to appeal to the massive to the biggest group of of people who do you know what I mean I think yeah, that's you why you kind of bland a, a most bland version heard well, group thing or, sort of comes into it there I think because then you have to fit in with one of the tectonic plates that's I don't, I'm mixing metaphors there to such a degree that I'm probably just making sounds <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to something else, which... Um, <laughs> she agreed with you. <laughs> was my question was, um, when you see that your show has eerily predicted something, like, for example, the TV cartoon character who gets elected to political office in one of your episodes... Why do we waste our time with animated trivialities like him? I mean, why? Why? I mean, why? I mean, why? I mean, why? I mean, why? This is just I mean, why? the kind of thing. Well, you see, you laugh. They laugh at you, limbo. You laugh. But you are laughing at someone who won't engage, who is scared to engage, who hides behind a children's cartoon. And then when you watch the real news, do you say to yourself, like, holy crap, we were right? Are you surprised? Or do you think, told you so? Because actually, Charlie, I read an interview with you that came out the last week of October, and you said, I wouldn't be at all surprised if there's a President Trump And I swear, you might have been the only liberal media elite who would have believed that at the time. Do you think? 
I remember. Yeah. I remember having <laughs> interviews. That we, we were doing. We were doing promotional interviews for Black Mirror, and uh, we'd gone through Brexit in the UK, mm. and so as soon as that happened. We had a phone call with Netflix the day after Brexit, and they were going, "Oh, how are you guys?" And blah blah. And I said, "There's going to be Trump's going to win. Trump's going to win." And they were like, "Ha!" Ah. Right. <laughs> um, and, and everybody everyone was, said and, that. And I remember, I remember, I said this in several interviews. Like, I said, yeah, of course he's in. Apart from anything else, I was thinking, well, of course he's in with a chance. It's a two-horse race. It's a two-horse race. He's he's one of the flipping candidates for president. There's a, it's every chance he could win. I think I tend to worry about the worst case scenario, and then when it happens in a slightly perverse way, I I then sort of start to hope that maybe things will then swing. <laughs> And yeah. get better. So I don't know. I I kind of hope that in the long term, this means that because it's been such a upset and such a if assuming the world survives, hopefully it will come out stronger. But then I yin yang between thinking that and thinking that like we're on the verge of getting uniforms issued and terrible, and I'm going to have to all go into hiding with my family and stuff well, like that. But, so. but the Waldo moment, the episode you're referring yeah. to, had its backdrop, the idea of politics increasingly being um, stepped on by entertainment, mm. the two worlds colliding, and it was an extrapolation of that. In it, yeah, you know, it was something it, that was in the ether. Something's got to change. No one trusts you lot. Because they know you don't give a shit about anything outside your bubble. What about your mate Gladwell? They Absolutely. Especially in the UK, we had our sort of clown buffoon politicians who were very intelligent people, but paraded and happily promoted this sort of more buffoonish quality because they could see that mm. people responded to it. People liked this sort of... Uh, the flawed individual who was prepared to sort of laugh at himself. Yeah. This idea of, like, extreme emotion all mm. the time. And that's yeah. what we're looking for. Instead of looking for stable leaders, we're looking for people who, you know, have something important to say or emotional to say or it's the best mm. press conference ever, the worst press conference ever, which, depending which side you're on. Mm. It's interesting. In that story, one of the things that happens is it becomes apparent that... Obviously, it's Waldo is a cartoon character who's controlled by a comedian who doesn't really want to be doing that job. And the public it finds it refreshing that they're open about the fact that he's manufactured and that he's stupid and he's nihilistic and he just he doesn't care and he's just there to upset the apple cart and to tell everyone to piss off. It felt like that was something that was going on in the public mood at the time. That was like 2012, I think, that we mm. that we did that episode. I couldn't quite foresee which way things were going. In our story, Waldo doesn't actually win. I mean, he does, and then we jump forward and show that there's a dystopian future in which he's become sort of used as the face of popular dissent. And I remember at the time everyone going, well, that's a bit far-fetched. And now you look at it and go, well... Maybe not. Is it though? Yeah. I mean, and that is making me think of, you know, what is the purpose of the Russian trolls that we see or the people who launched the phishing attack on John Podesta and the mm -hmm. Democratic Party? The idea is to sow anarchy. It is very much a nihilist point of view. A mm -hmm. lot of the trolling and the bots and the getting into people's heads and messing with things, it's not for a particular ends. It's for no ends at all. No, it's putting a voice in your head, though. I mean, it puts a voice in your head. It, again, I, I mean, I go back to when I was when I was a newspaper columnist. When articles started going online and they started having reader comments on there, it was immediately made all every all the writers miserable. Yeah. Like immediately, because there were people who were going on there specifically just to slag off the writer and have a go. And so, in your head, when you were writing, and, I, and my stuff, I had an easy time. Basically, I mean, I, I still got 
my fair share of abuse, but I had an easy time because I'm a guy and because I was writing sort of generally writing um, comedy pieces. Mm -hmm. But I still got lots of people calling me the worst thing on earth. Um, I was trying to be polite there. Um, <laughs> and and you can't help but have this voice in your head while you're trying to compose the stuff. You're trying to sort of second guess what are these angry people going to say yes. and think. And I think it's kind of like the the sort of troll farms or the sort of that wave of stuff. You're not quite sure how real it is. Yes. You can't tell how real it is. But it is a bit like the the doubting voice or the sort of self-critical voice that comes in when you're trying to create something or write something, there's a voice that goes, this is rubbish. Yeah. You should just give up. You're an idiot. It's like someone's released a, a strange hypnotic gas that places that voice in your head. I don't know how real it is because you never seem to meet those people in real life no. particularly. We're maybe, trying to find them. Maybe that's just the bubble. I have a, a whole army of them following me. They're not doing anything now, but somebody might have bought them to just wait. Till you right. say something. But then, I mean, and does that, does knowing that they are kind of works of fiction in a way, does that in any way help? Does that, you know, knowing that it's coordinated, but mm. presumably by a small number of people, masquerading as a large number of people, but knowing the fiction of that, does that make it in any way easier to dismiss? Yes, but also knowing that their goal would be to drive me off Twitter and that mm -hmm. that's what I would do to yeah. cope annoys me because then they would win. And yeah. the whole point is to show that they don't really matter, but they would if that happened. Mm. And then I also think, and I wonder if you guys are thinking about this, Cambridge Analytica mm -hmm. and this whole discussion about digital ad targeting, that is targeting our emotions and mm. that people thought might have had to do with why Brexit passed and why people voted for Donald Trump. It's kind of been dismissed, and yet we know that this is the future of getting into our heads. Mm -hmm. mm. I mean, it's a new form of propaganda, which yeah. we're going to... I mean, we are already, I guess, accustomed to, probably without even thinking about it, filtering out all kinds of other forms of propaganda that we're exposed to. Yeah. And so I guess, to take the optimistic point of view, it's just another horrible thing we're going to have to <laughs> learn to f mentally filter out. Right. But at the moment, it is like... Uh, it's like a stone in your shoe. I mean, it's it's like you. How do you ignore that? How do you ignore the an army of people calling you a shit? Basically, I mean, it's I, I don't know how you're mentally supposed to filter that out. Some people seem good at doing it, and others mm. others it, it breaks them very quickly. But we all, you know, in today's society, you have your conventional, traditional TV channels that you know are propaganda tools. With they're labelled that we know them without mentioning any American channels. <laughs> so it's now just about just having an extra level filter on a smaller scale. You know, where you sort of go, okay, this is probably a propaganda tool. I need to just uh, dismiss it. I, and it's just training yourself. And I think that the younger generation is better, mm. has swum in these waters for longer, and is better at navigating it. I mean, I, I don't know. I remember seeing an interview with sort of more mature Trump voters who were recounting stories they'd read about online and going, well, and, and in that world, it would make sense. It would make perfect sense if you think that Hillary Clinton is really a mass, is a criminal who's done all, you know, there's a pizza parlor. If you believe that, then of course you're not going to vote for that. Right. You know, it makes perfect sense in that world. And I wondered to what degree they were just being fooled by stuff that looked like a news site. Because in, I'm still of the generation that psychologically on some level, if something is well-designed or looks authentic enough to pass as a newspaper site or the voice of a newspaper, you kind of believe it. So I hope that the next generation is going to be better at filtering that out. All right. What I want to do is do a quick speed round, if I may. Okay. Annabelle, Charlie, where do you put your phone when you sleep? 
I listen to my phone. I listen to uh, talking books or a moon-shaped pool by Radiohead every night to go to sleep. But I have it a long way away from my head on airplane mode. Okay, that's Mm. good. Annabelle? Uh, Annoyingly very close to my pillow. (gasps) I know, I know. It's okay. There's no judgment. Speed round, no judgment. I judge myself. Are you on Facebook? Uh, I am, but defunct. I haven't, I don't, it's like cobwebbed. Yeah. I am and occasionally will dip into it and then have a little bit of self-loathing, so I leave again. Good. Okay. I mean, yeah, no judgment. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) How do you stay up to date on the tech industry news? Like, how do you know about all this stuff? We kind of don't need to because people immediately tweet us or email us to go, have you seen this? It's horrible. You'll love it. So you have your own personal wire service, basically, from your (laughs) – why have you not given up on making television and just started your own tech startup because you have all these crazy great ideas about what tech could be? Well – You know we're all – you know the show is funded by Apple. (laughs) Come on. Yeah. (laughs) No. no. I was – you had me. I was like, what? (laughs) No, seriously. I'm dead serious about I know. This one. We've thought many times we should patent half the stuff Seriously, we're coming out you with. You should. Yeah. All right. Um, but no judgment. Right. Do you own an Alexa or Google Home? No, and I wouldn't because I don't want something creepy sitting in my house listening to me. I'm with you. I bet you he will have it in a few years' time. <laughs> Do you have it? No, I don't. But I have friends who have it and I'm tempted. Okay. Trump impeachment, liberal wishful thinking or potential reality? I suspect... I suspect liberal wish fulfillment. Um, I, I suspect. I, Annabelle's nodding. But, I agree. But you never know. But you never know. I've psychologically had to think he's going to win two terms. Like, if you think that, Oh, then you'll, it, be, you'll be pleasantly surprised, You'll be pleasantly maybe. surprised. But you're living in Mad Max Fury Road in the meantime. Yeah. But, but yeah. That's a good way to do it. Mm. Last one. Do you have a tech fantasy of your own? Mine and this has come about since I've had children, is that I could lie down with my eyes closed and read the backs of my eyelids. That's my tech fantasy. That, well, that's definitely going to happen. It as is, well, isn't right? It? That is definitely going to happen. Read the back of your eyelids. Have, yes. have you For heard of per- talking books? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I want to read because I like to Uh-oh. go at my own pace and in my own brain and I want to annotate. And But I just want to do it on the backs of my eyelids. I've got you. I am so attracted to the idea we had in the entire history of you with yeah. the being able to rewind everything you've ever seen as a sort of capsule of my children growing up, Aww. which was where the, the idea mm-hmm. came from. Whenever we introduce any tech into the show, it's got to be, this is absolutely something you would use. It has to be, you would be seduced by this. And if it doesn't pass that test, the idea doesn't go any further. Mm -hmm. And with the entire history of you, the idea, because our children were very young at that time, Mm -hmm. and you sort of, they quickly change, and you sort of go, I want to be able to retain all of those little moments without introducing the camera between, you know. There's a heck of a lot of moments you'd want to delete as well. (laughs) For me, it would be San Junipero. That was one when writing that, thinking, yeah, we're going to do a really positive one. We're going to show a positive... Positive God upside. damn it. God yeah. damn it. And so um, for me, it would be that. It would probably yes. it would probably quickly become hell. But in the short term, it would be pretty good. Go oh. back to 1987 and sit there playing Outrun. And I love in that episode, San Junipero, that it was VR with two old... Yeah, I'm just wondering if that's a spoiler. Maybe I'll stop. I'm going to say something crazy. Okay. Want to marry me instead? Just... Greg seems great, but... Why not someone you've connected with? 
Yes. Yeah, we can. Okay. We can sp- that's the most yeah. progressive story ever written. I realise because <laughs> yeah. Sandra Perry is a story about um, a bisexual woman of colour who who falls in love with a paraplegic lesbian, and they're both uh, in their seventies. Like you couldn't like, but you don't know it's that. I've spoiled it for anyone who hasn't seen it. Well, tough luck. You should have watched it. It's very actually. Go, forget what I said and go and watch it. Um, Charlie. Brooker, Annabelle Jones, thank you both so, so much for being here. We love Black Mirror. Our audience is hexed by it, and then they come and get some comfort from me afterwards. (laughs) Thank you so much for having us. Thank Thank you. you. Charlie Brooker and Annabelle Jones. Ugh, their new season. Love them. New season of Black Mirror is out on the 29th of December, packed with dystopian masterpieces, we are sure, just in time for 2018. And if the show leaves you feeling rattled, reset by signing up for our weekly newsletter. It is pro-tech and pro-humanity. Right at that fraught and crucial crossroads. We've got the team's favorite reads every week, my take on this accelerating world, and ways to contribute to upcoming shows and projects here yourself on the podcast. Find the sign-up link at notetoselfradio.org slash newsletter. For now, I am sending you utopian vibes and wishing you a very happy new year. The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Kunane, and Joe Plourd. Many thanks to Matt Boynton for his help, too. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Anoush Samarodi. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank... Uh, our wonderful cast, uh, Gugu, Mackenzie, and Denise, and everyone. Um, Owen, Owen, who did such a wonderful job directing Sandra Napera, making me look much cleverer than I am. Annabelle, my co-showrunner, who told me I wouldn't win uh, tonight in a supportive, psychologically healthy kind of way. Um, and finally, my wife, Connie, who's down there, who I love um, very much. Uh, thank you. I'm shocked. I'm going to go and melt this down for currency. Thank you.